Well, hello. Welcome, regular Drews. Welcome to episode 27. We are going to be discussing... Oh my gosh. What? What'd you say? I almost said last train to Crystal Skull. (laughs) That's a new one. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) But no. Sorry. We are going to be discussing the Her Interactive PC game number 17, Legend of the Crystal Skull. (laughs) Well, aren't you a regular Nancy Drew? We sure hope so, and we hope you are too. Join us as we talk Nancy Drew cover to cover and click to click. Welcome to Regular Nancy Drew. First impressions? I mean, it's a good game. I think, like... Overall, I enjoy it. I think this time replaying it, I noticed things about it that I didn't notice the first time around or last okay. time I played it. And so I'm excited to hear what that is. And so I'm just not, I'm not sure where I land on it now. Fair. But I like the vibes. I like the vibes. You know, I like the mm-hmm. New Orleans vibe, the spooky vibe. So I appreciate it for that. But there are some, there, I think there are some problematic things in this. Oh, yes. There's quite a few. That, that I think uh, we need to talk about. But, but overall, yes, enjoyable. <laughs> what about you, Corey? It's a solid game. It's very puzzle heavy, um, like we were just saying before we started recording. But it, yeah, I mean, I mean I, like you said, I love the vibes. It's very rainy. It's raining the entire time that we're there. Bess is in this one. This is the very first time that we get Bess in the game. We don't actually get to see her, but we get to play as her for some parts of the mystery, which is the first time we get to play as Bess in the in the series. So very exciting. I do love the Bess element of it, although that's probably the most problematic parts of the game. <laughs> yeah, so true. So true. We'll have to talk about the replay value as well, like you were mm. saying, the things that you picked up on this time versus last time. Yeah. And- Things that were very scary when I was younger and played this for the first oh. time versus how they come off I now. I still you think know. it's super scary. <laughs> Let me oh, be yeah. clear. I still think it's super spooky and I think they do a really good job at the spook. They do recommend at the mm-hmm. very beginning of the game to play at night with all the lights off. This was a very devious thing because it just makes it scarier. I'd say that this is like the scariest opening of any mm-hmm. of the games maybe. Because there's a jump scare, like, right at the start. And that shot me through the (laughs) ceiling when I was little. I jumped so high. (laughs) That doesn't happen anymore because I know that it's Mm -hmm. coming. But it is still, yes, it is very There are still some other jump scares, spooky things that happen throughout that Mm -hmm. are just as frightening and hit me just the same way that they used to. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where you're in uh, Renee's bedroom and you turn, like, if you turn just a little bit to the right, and then, like, the shadow move, like, a shadow moves, like, the lightning on flashes the wall and... or something, and mm-hmm. you turn immediately, and you see this doll in the rocking chair, and it's like, oh, my God! <laughs> Every time! That was not there before. <laughs> Very creepy. Um... But anyway, but yeah, so I think it's definitely still spooky. I just think I 
that this time when I replayed it, I was like, oh, that's problematic in a way that I don't remember. <laughs> and why didn't I oh, okay. yeah. pick up on that when I played it the last time? I don't remember the last time I played this one. Oh, okay. Actually, though. So it could have been a long, long time ago. But there. Well, when we were young, we weren't raised to see these things as red flags, <laughs> even though they are massive red flags. Massive red flags, yeah. But yeah. I've replayed this one a lot, so mm -hmm. I kind of knew what to expect with some of the grosser bits. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the older you get, I think the worse it yeah. gets. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> okay, so this one was released on October 8th, 2007, which is just in time for Halloween of 2007, so that makes a whole lot of sense. You know, mm -hmm. spooky game for a spooky time of the year. And is apparently based off of number 81, the Mardi Gras Mystery. Um, that's according mm -hmm. to Wikipedia, at least, what I found on Wikipedia. But I'm sure that that is probably mostly true. Um, but I actually have no idea what that one is about. I have that one, actually. I have not read it, but I was reading the back of it to kind of get an idea. Mm -hmm. And it does not seem like it's very similar. Mm -hmm. It's about um, Nancy and Ned, like, go to New Orleans because some... Some guy has invited them there and his father has a portrait of his late wife and then the portrait is stolen. But then they see the late wife running through the streets of New Orleans with the painting oh. or something. That's that's what the back of the book basically says. So doesn't seem super similar, well, but just we're going to New a Orleans. A stolen <laughs> painting in this, in this game. Mm, it's true. It's true. Hmm. But interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, and I always, it seems to us, at least when we read uh, Morsi Manor, that uh, Curse of Blackmore Manor is apparently based off the Blackbeard Room, or Bluebeard Room? Bluebeard, Bluebeard Room. Room, yep. And Morsi Manor, but nobody ever brought up Morsi Manor as being a an influence on that game that we saw. I've seen it on some lists, but I think it was mostly, you know, the setting and a, a few names. You know, the plot line right. itself was pretty different. But so I wonder, like... Is that the same for most games, you know? Are they a conglomeration of a couple books? And if so, is there another influence on Crystal Skull than Mardi Gras Mystery? Not that I've been able to see. Um, the further along we get in the series, the less and less they're based off the book mm. and more inspired by that book. So mm. like our first seven are directly based off of a book and are pretty much taken straight from that. And then... Maybe number eight is as well. But as we go further and further, they stay less faithful to the book that they're based off of, I believe. Gotcha. Gotcha. Not that I've read all Interesting. of them, but... Yeah. Um, well, three words? New Orleans, I mean. New Orleans, obviously. Skeletons and bones. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot of... A lot of that. Death. I guess they just say death, mm -hmm. death vibes. Yeah, very true. New Orleans, death, and... Exotic animals. Exotic <laughs> animals, yes! Yes, Corey. Perfect. Do we want to start? Yes. This one starts a little bit differently. Um, what is it? Number 16, I think, is the first one that starts with this kind of intro, where instead of seeing just the main menu of like new game load or save game we get nancy's desk and then you click on the case file on her desk to like learn about the mystery and then actually start the game which do you like that i, I can never tell if i like it or not <laughs> i think it's fun i do miss the yeah. like the, the main letter. intro music and the letter yeah. yeah that was always a nice touch but they phased it out for whatever reason 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's nice to be able to see, like, Nancy's, you know, room and everything, kind of. But I think it's kind of weird because mm-hmm. unless we're trying to, like, you know, establish Nancy as, like, this character set in River Heights, then, like, which it doesn't seem like we really are ever, mm-hmm. except for in Alibi and Ashes, obviously, like... Nancy's always somewhere else solving a mystery. So mm-hmm. why are we starting here? <laughs> you know, what does this have to do with anything? Who knows? Um, but, but yeah, yeah. I definitely missed the letter, but I guess people don't send letters anymore. So that's kind of That's wise. true. That might have been part of Based the decision out. as well. Mm-hmm. I do have her whole opening speech memorized just because I've heard it so many times. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nancy Drew. Welcome to my center of operations, my desk. Go ahead and poke around. <laughs> yeah. anyway yeah so that's how it starts yes (laughs) we learn that there is i was gonna say a kid but he's not a kid he's a fully adult male um (laughs) it's a kid to my perspective in my old age um but this man named henry bolet that ned wants us to visit as a favor to him because his great uncle just died so ned wants us to check in on henry so that's the premise of why we're going um, and so immediately we kind of start off in a little bit of a cutscene. You do have to knock on the door, but mostly it's a cutscene. We're standing in front, we as Nancy are standing in front of a New Orleans mansion and it's raining and storming. Um, and as we go up to the, the front door, we find the door is kind of unlocked and we creak it open and we step in. There are wet muddy footprints on the ground and we follow them into this kind of study foyer scenario where we see a man in a black coat and a skull mask standing in the living room (gasps) dun 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 the lights flicker because it's storming the power goes out and then everything's dark and we can't see anything but then suddenly the lights flicker back on and the skeleton man is right in front (laughs) of your face terrifying Mm -hmm. especially if you've followed their instructions and turned off all the (laughs) lights in your house (laughs) um and he throws some kind of powder in nancy's face that makes her pass out and when we come to we are awakened by an older woman in like this large gardening hat who like tells her to drink this like green concoction that will make her feel better Mm -hmm. um and then Henry chimes in, Henry Bolay chimes in, like, don't make her drink one of your weirdo concoctions. And But she explains that, you know, she found Nancy unconscious in the foyer. Um, she is Renee Bruno Bolay's housekeeper, and she and Henry carried Nancy into the library. Um, but she leaves to go back to garden on the patio, and Henry is still in the library with us, kind of on hold with someone on the phone, apparently. I have to ask, did you drink the concoction? Um, so the thing is, so I've been replaying these whenever I play them for the podcast. I've been replaying them with my husband. Mm. And so I try to get him to make a lot of the decisions because I want him to kind of see, you know, (laughs) what it's like and everything. So whenever I play this game, I never drink it. Mm. I never drink it. But Lance was like, Lance is very polite. And so he would he would never <laughs> be like no. So he's like, yeah, we drink it. 
And so, yeah, it tastes, I think she says it tastes funny or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if we ever learn what's in it. I think we asked and she's just like, oh, never you mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or just like she says, just like a bunch of herbs or something. Yeah. (laughs) So Renee's very into, um, what do you even call it? Like home. Hoodoo. Oh, yeah. Well, hoodoo, but like. (laughs) It's hoodoo. (laughs) Homemade remedies and stuff, I guess, mm. is, is what I'm trying to go mm. for. I guess there's a name for that. Yeah. But... <laughs> okay. Th- anyway. Yeah, sorry. So after this little interaction, like you said, Renee goes back to the patio with her garden and Henry is sitting at the desk in the corner. So we start looking around the library a little bit. The power has also gone out because of this big storm. So like you said, it's all very dark in the house. There's, I think there's a fire in the fireplace and some candles everywhere. But otherwise, it's it's pretty hard to see some of the things in this room. So we have to look close at everything. Uh, so we talked to Henry and learn a little bit more about his uncle. He's been on hold because he is trying to basically settle his estate and get all of his last affairs in order and, and everything. Uh, I guess he's working with the lawyers and... We know that the uncle was previously a dentist and he's got all these awards and things in his house. Um, actually, if we pick what, up one of his trophies that he has on one of the shelves, it kind of rattles a little bit. We look inside and there is a glass eyeball in there. Uh, kind of weird. But uh, what else do we find in there? Um, in the library, there's a lot of stuff, but I kind of just described the entire setup of the house. If you do like one exploration So, like, in the library, like you said, there's lots of books, and we start to find these glass eyes everywhere, because there's also one, if you go down the hall into the foyer, there's one in the graveyard. Um, There's there's a massive model of a cemetery. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which, upon talking to Henry, we learn that there's a cemetery adjacent to the house that Bruno also took care of throughout his life. So there's this massive model of that. There's There's another glass eye in there. In the foyer, there's a puzzle in the table that you can solve to get another glass eye. So we're finding all these glass eyes all over the place. Mm-hmm. There's also like really weird paintings on the wall with really weird things in them mm-hmm. in the foyer. And in the foyer, we also find a receipt from someplace called Zeke's. It's mostly burned, so you can't really tell what it is, but it's very important. <laughs> um I do also want to say, if you go outside before you talk to anybody, you can explore the cemetery and everything. Well, first of all, I do want to say that the garden outside is super intense. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just, like, somebody's backyard. Right. (laughs) It's, like, fully, like, stone statue, big walled garden kind Mm -hmm. of a thing uh, with a memorial i guess i don't know what you would call it for bruno is Mm -hmm. it like a memorial i know it's technically where his ashes are yeah right laid to rest right he was cremated so i don't really understand how he's a dentist and (laughs) runs a cemetery i like to imagine that this is like a a long family tradition of living in this house Mm. and upkeeping the cemetery because like you said we have the the portraits on the wall of we can assume Mm. that they're previous family members or maybe they lived in this house at one time and also the graves some of them are very old so unless he Mm. just happened to buy this house for some reason I kind of imagine that that's what it is also like you say in your notes here the house is kind of tilted when you walk through it it's kind of that classic New Orleans architecture where 
yeah, it sinks sometimes. So the house is going to be a little bit crooked. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like a, it makes it seem like it was built way before his death and he like designed mm. it. And so maybe it wasn't a crypt to start off with, but it is like a big stone box that has big, what are they like vulture statues around them? Mm-hmm. And, and then Henry ends up putting the ashes in there because Bruno didn't indicate what he wanted done. So that's just what Henry assumed he wanted. Yeah. Anyway, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but then you can also go into the cemetery and explore the cemetery, which um, when Lance was playing through it, he immediately got lost doing so. Oh. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. And I remember getting lost in that cemetery too, but obviously now I don't because I <laughs> know it like the back of my hand. It's kind of like a maze. I mean, the when you're mm-hmm. in the garden itself, you're in point and click, first person view, but when you actually like exit the garden and go into the cemetery area... Um, it switches to third person view. So you just see Nancy's shadow walking up and down the different directions of where all the, the paths go. And well, that's a lot exactly what I was going to mention too, is that we, it's actually, we don't just see Nancy's shadow. We see her silhouette, right? Body, like her silhouette, mm-hmm. but it's dark. So obviously it's, you can't distinguish any features or anything, but is this the first time we fully, like we see Nancy Drew, like we see her. We see her silhouette in Scarlet Hand as well. I know that. Hmm. We sort of almost see her like bottom half in Shadow Ranch at the end where Dave's thumb is over oh. the camera. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just That's see fun. it's like That's Bess and George cute. and Nancy on yeah. their horses and we just see like their feet. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 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 But this but probably no, I is just the thought, closest. I, I just thought like, I mean, like we literally see Nancy's body moving mm-hmm. in this, in these shots. And so I, I remember seeing that while I was replaying it and I was like, oh my gosh, we're seeing Nancy mm-hmm. Drew basically, essentially. It was crazy. But anyway, anyway, anyway. So after like exploring, giving the house a good exploring one time, that's mostly everything that we find. There's two bedrooms upstairs, um, but we can't go in them right. just yet. Yeah. We can go in one. Oh yeah, but it's but empty. it's like... And it's like a bedroom out of a freaking horror movie. Can we just say, first of all, it is so dark. I think this bedroom is the darkest um, room in any, uh, anywhere Mm -hmm. in this place. But it's also like one solitary cot with like a white sheet Mm -hmm. on it. And that's it. There's like one candle on the nightstand. Yeah. That's it. Another eyeball in the drawer of the table. But I'm like, yeah, who, nothing in there. who lives here? Whose room is this? I think maybe they cleaned it out after he died. Because that oh. would have been Bruno's bedroom. And they, I don't know. It's not like he died in that bed and they needed to sanitize it or anything. I don't know. Well, and like, did Bruno, we know Bruno has a bunch of stuff. Like, why is this room like just so <laughs> I know creepy, sterile? Like, what is up with that? Just like, <laughs> more creepy vibes for the place. <laughs> I I guess I always assumed that it was um, Henry's room. And because Henry didn't spend a lot of time there, mm. he didn't have anything in it. It was just like a bed. Because obviously he was off at school always or camp or, or military school, wherever he was. But but then, yeah, then where did Bruno sleep? Because there's only two rooms. We're going to have to talk about the floor plan in a minute because none of it makes <laughs> sense. But we'll get there. Yeah. We have more to say than well, just the bedroom part for okay, right now. Okay, okay. But yeah, we'll, right, right, right. Sorry, we'll, we'll go back to the summary and then we'll, we'll definitely. I have that in my notes actually. <laughs> we need to talk about the layout of this house because it makes no sense. 
so anyway, yeah. So upon talking to Henry, and I think you talked about this, we kind of talked about this a little bit. We learn more about Bruno. He was um, Henry's great uncle. We also learn that Henry's parents. So the reason why Henry is under the was under the care of his uncle Mm -hmm. um, is because his parents died in a car crash when he was eight, and so Bruno raised him, but. Not really, because he basically farmed him out. He sent him to a bunch of, like, boarding schools, summer camps, so that he was never really at home. Mm-hmm. But Bruna did name Henry as the executor of his estate. I think you already said that, actually. You said that. Oh, maybe. Um, But it's so funny, this conversation with Henry, because... And Nancy is basically, like, explaining that she's checking in on him because Ned asked her to. Yeah. And Henry is so annoyed. You can tell that he also thinks that Ned is really annoying for having done this, being like, yeah, I mean, I don't really know the guy that well. He just seemed concerned and it was weird. So, you know, go ahead, you know, go off, you know, explore New Orleans or whatever. I'm fine. Because right. <laughs> she's there with us for and, the weekend. Did we say that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But Nancy's like, well, I can't now, obviously. There was a man in a skeleton costume who <laughs> blew smoke at me and I passed out. I can't just leave. Right. <laughs> so she's like, is it okay that I stay and investigate this? And he's like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, whatever. Do what you want. Um, but he does tell her, be careful because Bruno used to like to collect exotic pets but he didn't believe in cages, so they just roam the property. So watch mm-hmm. where you step. Um. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we can also call the cab company that dropped us off, and we get a message that because of the big storm and the power power outages, there's no one like available to go out and pick Nancy up and bring her back to the French Quarter where Bess is staying. So. She is kind of stuck there anyway, so we might as well investigate, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we can talk to Renee out on the patio, too. And, yes, this is where we learn that she grows herbs for hoodoo. <laughs> she is a hoodoo practitioner. And we talk to Renee about Henry, and she thinks that Henry, she says she calls him morose and negative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so she does not like him. And she also suspects that he is selling Bruno's things on the sly. Mm. Um, and which Nancy's kind of confused about because it's like, well, isn't Henry going to inherit, you know, all of Bruno's estate anyway? She tells us no, that actually she, Bruno's doctor, Gilbert Buford, at some dentistry school, and Renee are all set to inherit a portion of Henry's estate. And the lawyers had said that no assets can be sold until all the affairs are settled and all his debts mm-hmm. paid and everything so that everything can be split evenly, right? Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. Yes. <laughs> um, we talked to her about the skeleton man too, and she tells us that she has seen this skeleton man before, so she believes us. She saw him in the house on the night that Bruno died. And she thinks that it was, quote-unquote, Mr. Death. Um, And she tells us to be careful because if he's come back, then he's here for another reason. Spooky! (laughs) Such a good character. I don't know. She's weird, but very well written. I love her. I love her. Uh, Yeah, so we can call Ned and he basically just like, hey, how's Henry doing? And we can give him updates, but it's not 
a necessary part of the game. Of course, we can also call Bess, and whenever we do call Bess, the perspective flips, and we get to play as Bess for that part. While we're talking to Bess, Nancy's telling her about what happened with the skeleton man attacking her, and that she found this receipt for a place called Zeke's in the fireplace, and is wondering if Bess can go check it out for her. Bess asks where it is, and she's like, oh, well, that's actually right across the street from our hotel, and I'm at our hotel right now anyway, and we can, from Bess's point of view, we're standing like on our hotel balcony in the French Quarter looking across the street at Zeke's. Uh, There is also a food truck out there that sells like gumbo and jambalaya and crawfish and stuff like that, which is fun. Always love being able to eat in these games as much as we want. (laughs) Uh, But yes, Bess does agree to go across the street and see what she can find out about that receipt and whose it was. So when we go to Zeke's, we meet this character named Lamont, who explains that he is the owner of this shop. Um, There's kind of a little joke where Bess is like, well, you know, if this is your place, why isn't it? Why is it called Zeke's? And he's like, oh, well, I bought this place from another guy, but he wasn't Zeke either. So (laughs) his name wasn't Zeke either. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Oh, actually, so we should talk about this later, too, because he tells us that part of the conditions of his buying it from the guy who sold it was that the name stays Zeke's. So I have interesting Do you have a thoughts about this. Oh, okay. I okay. think I maybe have some theories. So, oh, but okay. anyway. I'm very interested to hear what those are. Uh, but this Zeke's store is like a curio shop. We've got all sorts of weird, funky, cool stuff in there. I think my favorite is the um, all the different powders that they have. There's like hiccuping powder, <laughs> giggling powder. Bess can like smell them and open them and then she will do whatever is on the bottle. Like she'll start hiccuping or whatever. There is also mystic toast, which I love. Uh, we do see later a little hint that basically yes. Lamont is using stencils to spray paint toast to make it look like... <laughs> They magically toasted with these special designs on them, like a fleur-de-lis or whatever. But I just think it's really funny. But just a bunch of random stuff like that in the store. Can I also just say, though, there is a legitimate dead body in a sarcophagus in this store. And what is that, like, green... What's in the tank? What's in the tank? (laughs) What is it? What is it? It moves if you tap the glass. It moves back. It moves back, Corey. It kind of wiggles. I don't like it. This is where my theories come in. So oh, I'm just going to okay. make a note of that. Ooh, okay. Okay, I need to know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it is very easy to get Lamont to tell us what the receipt was for. He's like, oh, yeah, actually, um, Henry Billet was in here a little while ago and sold me a random box of junk from his house. So that's, you know, I, that was what the receipt was for, me buying that from him. And Bess is like, oh, well, can you tell me what was in it? And he's he kind of won't say or maybe he doesn't know or hasn't had time to look through it yet so yeah basically what we end up having to do is set up the world's most complicated rube goldberg machine to essentially expose lamont to this sneezing powder so that he has a sneezing fit so that we can go into the back while he's occupied sneezing to (laughs) look into this terrible excuse (laughs) we have to talk about this as well also, I do just want to say that, like, this puzzle, I think, is the worst puzzle I in never do this it. game. I just cheat. It's horrible. And it's, and it's how on earth are you supposed to figure out how these things are supposed to work together is a mystery that is beyond me and That's that I've never been able to figure out. No. But once you do that and get back into the box, we find a skeleton man costume. Ooh. Mm-hmm. 
Um, some photos, like a weird page with like these different lines from Hamlet and a letter from this person named Amalinda. Um, and then a box with a nine button lock on it. And if we call Nancy, she helps us uh, with a lock on the box and we're able to open it. And we find a note about something called the Whisperer. Mm. <laughs> and... And we look inside the box and there is like a round indentation the same size as a human skull. So what could have been in there that needed protecting? The crystal skull, Corey. Yes. Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> we found it. No, it's just kidding. We found it. No, we found an empty box. Yeah. yeah. But we have reason to believe now that our Bolet family had interest in this skull as well. Maybe they mm-hmm. have it stashed away somewhere. Um, At this point, we call Nancy to let her know what we found in the box, basically. And also, um, when we were in the library earlier, we didn't have a chance to look at too, too many of the books. Like, you can't click on them. But for whatever reason, now they are active and you can click on them and read them. And one of those books is a book by one of our favorite uh, favorite characters, Professor Hotchkiss. Professor Beatrice Gertrude Winifred Hotchkiss. Yes, To be exact. <laughs> she, if you're not familiar, she makes her appearance in game number four, Treasure in the Royal Tower, as like an in person character. And now we are able to call her in this game because she has written a book on crystal skulls because she's a scholar of French history. So obviously, she also knows about crystal skulls for some reason and is also an expert on that because that's how expertise in history works is very, very random specific areas, right? <laughs> She's also an Egypt expert later on. Oh, yeah. Make sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But basically, her phone number is in this book, and we read a little bit more about the skulls and how there's a few of them around the world, and then we can call her to, to learn Not more. Not a few, about. Corey. 13, 13. A very spooky number. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> no, but there's, yeah, there's, like, a lot of legends about this, and, um... Apparently, it existed in a lot of different times throughout history, but apparently, if you bring them, all 13 skulls together, they'll all speak and whisper to each other, imparting some kind of wisdom that will quote-unquote save the human race. Um, And each of the different skulls has some kind of magical power. This book is specifically, or specifically mentions the one called The Whisperer. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um... But it talks more about that. But apparently this skull gives its owner immunity to human ailments and immortality? Question mark, Mm -hmm. question mark, question mark. Uh, So that's very interesting. But most recently it was owned by (laughs) what the book calls a huckster named Curtis Caldwell, who Corey eventually settled in Baton Rouge um, and was later murdered by a dissatisfied customer. So the last known location of this skull, known as the Whisper, was actually Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very and interesting. Our previous owner was murdered, so if Bruno was immune to natural cause deaths, we now have a bigger investigation here, don't we? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Things are looking a little bit suspicious. Yeah, so if we um, call Professor Hotchkiss, she tells us that Bruno actually called her and talked to her about the Whisperer, and, you know, she asked if he knew where it was, and he said something kind of cryptic. He just said, the eyes have it, and kind of laughed or whatever. Um, Mm. But she does tell us that, yeah, if Bruno did actually have the Whisperer and he died, 
Nancy should really look into that because, you know, she would bet her bottom it wasn't a natural death. So this prompts us to go talk to Henry. Of course, we immediately need to go see his death certificate. We ask him how he dies, and he says that he had a heart attack. And the attending physician was his longtime doctor and friend named Dr. Gilbert Buford. We do also go and ask Renee for her side of the story on what she remembers from that night. And she tells us a little bit more about Bruno's death. She was actually home at the time that he died. She heard him collapse in like the foyer in the front hall and came running in. Um, And as soon as she enters the room, she realizes that Dr. Gilbert Buford is also like standing in the foyer with him. So maybe he's just arrived. He's come from somewhere. Um, so he starts performing CPR. Renee runs to call 911. Um, but by the time she gets back, it's too late and he is gone. Um, yeah. We do also need some paper at this point because we need to take a rubbing of, of something so that we can unlock <laughs> something to get a key to go into the mausoleum, which we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> the Bole family mausoleum. Um and so we asked Renee if we can have a piece of paper, if she has any. And she's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I have some up in my room. Here's the key. So we get to go upstairs and snoop in the locked bedroom, which is Renee's <laughs> bedroom. Yeah, if you go in there, it is very spooky. Like I was talking about, there is that spooky moment where you turn and see the doll and the rocking chair. And it's very creepy. But we see, so she's got a bed in there. Um, in her nightstand are all the Coco Kringle bars. She has to grab a Coco Kringle bar for her. Mm-hmm. Can we just talk about the amount of Coco Kringle bars that this lady hoards? Oh, yeah. There's like a hundred in there, There's probably. Like, yeah. Easy. <laughs> and also, you as Nancy can just continuously eat them. You can eat as many as you want. <laughs> the screen goes green and Nancy's like oh this wasn't a good idea (laughs) also in her room is a spooky looking chest that is locked um, that you're able to open through a puzzle that has a book on spectriloquy Mm -hmm. on it I believe that's how you say that which is apparently a hoodoo language Mm -hmm. uh, or written hoodoo I I don't know Um, it's a symbol language yeah yeah And also, if you turn, there is um, symbols in this hoodoo written on the wall in red. Honestly, looks like blood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Super creepy. Also, when we turn to look at it, there's a big flash of lightning. So it's just very startling. Very spooky. Um, So if you go downstairs and ask Renee about this, she tells us that she's painted these symbols on the wall because there's a spirit living in the wall. um, And it was whispering this phrase to her. And so she painted this word that she heard it whisper on the wall. And the spirit hasn't spoken since. Hmm. I wonder what it means. Like, I know what the words are, but I wonder what the meaning is. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. We'll have to talk about this later, too. Yeah, was Bruno into hoodoo, too? Because why would he have those specific... Anyway, sorry. I have thoughts. Yes, okay. Well, I okay. have lots oh, of Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, after getting this paper and solving a couple puzzles, eventually we're able to get into the, this locked mausoleum in the cemetery, which we learn is actually the Bole mausoleum and has all of the Bole family in it. Um, but when we approach it, we see Henry outside, like on his knees on the ground in the rain, just sobbing. Like he, this is not a little cry. This is like a serious, like 
on the ground sobbing. Um, but as soon as Nancy approaches it and kind of calls out to him, he gets up and runs away. It's very sad. So when we go inside the crypt, we yeah, see all the different belays, but we also see the names of Henry's parents in there. It's just honestly so freaking heartbreaking. But yeah, so inside the mausoleum, there's honestly not that much to do yeah. in the mausoleum. All that we're able to find in there is a painting of presumably Henry's parents inside there that's missing from, there's like this empty frame in the foyer and we can go in and replace it. Which his mom is Dr. Irina Predovichu from Danger on Deception Island. Did you notice that? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. They use the same like, Oh, okay. Yeah, same image. Okay, okay. But it's not actually, okay. I mean, I it's the same woman. I thought you were telling woman. me interesting Mm -hmm. but no way because i think the date of their deaths was in the 90s right it would have been yeah i'm sure so and danger on deception island was released in 2000 something Mm -hmm. so it's not i mean it's not the same character but it's the same woman in the picture (laughs) yeah it's i don't know why they chose to do that because it doesn't make sense in the mm. timeline wise other than just putting yeah. in an easter egg or maybe they were like oh this is a stock photo that we have let's use it again yeah. you know so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 sorry anyway anyway yeah if, so if you replace the painting from the mausoleum in the foyer and then put those paintings in a certain order the correct order it opens a secret passageway that we can go into of course very, the spooky old house has a secret passageway exciting. yes <laughs> When we step inside, we can overhear Henry talking to someone named Summer, who is apparently, like, hitting him up for money. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, we, we can't hear Summer's side of the conversation, but we just hear Henry saying, like, I don't have that kind of money, but I'll, I can get it. I will soon. Don't worry. Interesting. What's going on there? It's a financially abusive relationship. We have to talk about this later, too. <laughs> At a minimum, that's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is also a door, a locked door at the top of this stairway in this hidden passageway. And there is like a spiderweb symbol on the door. And this prompts us to go outside in the garden. There's this big fountain and there's a spider that is living in this fountain, essentially. So we have to go play a song on strings that are connected to the fountain. It doesn't really make much sense practically, but essentially that gets us the key to unlock this door. Well, I the way I kind of assume, Corey, is I assume that this spider was one of Bruno's exotic pets. Oh, maybe. And that he trained this spider to move when it heard this particular string of notes. Probably. That makes sense. I mean. <laughs> but anyway, we can get the key, and now we can go back up into the secret passageway, and we find a junk room. It looks like... <laughs> It's not an attic so because it's in like the corner between the empty bedroom that we can assume was probably Bruno's and where Renee's room is. Oh, okay. So the only way to access this room is through the stairways and the only way to leave is to go through a panel in the wall through Bruno's room. So it's just a room full of junk that looks like somebody's attic, but it's not the attic. From the outside, we can see that there's a third story, but we'll talk about that later when we talk about the, the layout of the Fascinating. house. Fascinating. So there must be an attic or something, but there's no way to get up there. Anyway. Unless there are more secret passages that we don't know about. Yeah, there would have to be, right? 
<laughs> but in this attic room, there's like a desk where Bruno has a bunch of a different like notebooks and there's a photo on the desk of him with a bunch of men dressed like skeletons and he's receiving his skeleton man costume in the photo. Hmm. There is also a creepy dummy that has like a musical box, kind of a music box, and you can make him talk. And then there's a ski ball machine. Yeah, what else? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the most important thing in this room that helps us solve like most of it is the handwritten book yes. from Bruno that has all of these different stories in it that basically correspond to different puzzles throughout the house that we have to solve to get glass eyes so that we can put them in this thing so that we can solve another puzzle. It's like puzzles upon puzzles upon puzzles, which is actually quite fun. Yeah. I enjoy them. But the way that they're all strung together is they're all in one clump. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like all the puzzles are together for this one thing, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. It's just... Um, they all lead up to the big puzzle. You know, you put them together right. and yeah, that's the... Yeah. Um, another couple notable things that we see in here is near the picture on his desk is a letter of acceptance from the Jolly Roger crew to mm-hmm. Bruno Bolet. Um, and from that letter we read, we also learn that someone named Dr. Gilbert Buford sponsored his initiation into this crew. Mm. So we really had to talk to this Gilbert Buford guy. <laughs> Um, there's also like a calendar on his desk that if you flip through it, you notice there is a skull and crossbones marked on a day every single month, um, with a note to the side with like a different location. And what we learn eventually is a password. Hmm. Very interesting. interesting. Um, at this point, um, we can talk to Henry again because we overheard him talking to Summer and we confront him again about selling Bruno's things telling him we know about summer right we know that you need cash for summer you're selling bruno's things to get cash for the summer person are you Mm -hmm. and he admits basically that he is trapped in a moderately abusive relationship (laughs) um with this girl who just essentially extorts him for stuff she asks for like a new sound system a flat screen tv um and he's worried that if he doesn't give her what she wants she'll dump him oh which poor henry letter man yeah, letter i mean best. i don't know what to tell you <laughs> But anyway, but so if we agree to not say anything about uh, selling Henry's things to anyone, he gives us one of Bruno's glass eyes that he has on a keychain. <laughs> there is a total of 25 glass eyes that we have to find in this game. So, And we need them all. So we need this one. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. We can also ask him about the box of Bruno's stuff that he did sell. And he tells us that he didn't open the box, but there there wasn't a crystal skull as far as he knew in there. At this point, we do get to contact Dr. Buford. We call his physician's office and we are told that he is all but retired now, but he mostly spends his time um, at this gumbo stand down at the corner of Rampart and Dumaine Street in the French Quarter, what a coincidence that's directly across from the hotel where <laughs> Bess currently is. So um, we get oh back gosh. on the phone call with Bess and we're like, hey, Bess, can you, uh, you know, go see if you can see this doctor hanging out around there anywhere? And she's like, actually, I think I might see him down there right now. So let me go over there and talk to him. 
so we go over and talk to Dr. Buford to kind of introduce ourselves. He is immediately very creepy and starts hitting on Bess. <laughs> Ugh. Let's also be clear. He's definitely an older man. Like, yeah. he's not hes not in his 40s or his 50s. He's probably at the very least 60 plus. Well, he's retired. So, yeah, he's got to be up there. retired, but he also, like, visibly looks like an older man. Right? Right, right. And Bess... It's supposed to be 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And Bess even sounds uncomfortable, too, when he says these things. She's just like, oh, anyway, can you tell me about Bruno? Uh, (sighs) He's also kind of weird about Bruno. He's like, oh, yeah, I might have been Bruno's best friend, but he was certainly not my best Mm -hmm. friend. She starts asking him about the day that he died and stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I um, I was going over there to see him and just so happened to walk through the door when he was reading this letter. Like maybe he had just come to the door because the mail was delivered and he was getting it out through the slot. So that's why he was right in the foyer. But as soon as I walked through the door, he just kind of collapsed on the floor. And like Renee said, he started doing CPR, but it was soon too late. We ask him if it could have been possible for Renee to overdose him. And Buford's like, "Mm, maybe not. I mean, I've, you know, I'm a doctor. I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm not really suspicious of the manner of his death. I think it was a legitimate heart attack, but you know, Renee does practice this hoodoo. Who knows what kind of spells she's cast on him or um, if she kind of planted the seed in his brain of something happening that would have like brought on a heart attack, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, so <laughs> Bess asks him some really good questions, mm-hmm. questions that like are very important. And like, I think, honestly, I think if we were playing as Nancy, she would ask different questions. Probably. But so, you know, she asks, what did it look like Bruno was doing when you walked in? Like, was he holding something? Did he just come in from a walk? Did he have umbrella or sunglasses or, you know, whatever? She was painting the picture for him she to say and was. fill in the gaps for me here, you know? Yeah. And he says, you know, I didn't see anything like that, but I did notice that he was holding a piece of paper and an envelope when I walked in the door. And when when he collapsed, it was on the floor next to him. So he must have had the heart attack while he was reading a letter. Hmm. But we don't know what happened to this piece of paper. He says he didn't notice it when they, you know, removed Bruno's body. So we come to the conclusion that Iggy, who is an iguana that Bruno used to own, has taken this letter because apparently it's uh, Iggy's M.O. to go around the house and steal scrap paper and and squirrel it away into the vents. Um, Kind of like building a little nest for himself. Yeah. Which I just find to be the cutest, the most cute cute thing I've ever heard in my life so precious he's sweet I (laughs) love Iggy Iggy is so cute and so sweet Mm -hmm. anyway so at some point we have to figure out how to get this letter back from Iggy Uh, also we ask him about the crystal skull he tells us that Bruno had shown him had physically shown him the crystal skull Mm. but Buford thought it was kind of nonsense and, you know, whatever wasn't that interested in it. But this is, like, fully confirmation now that Bruno had the crystal skull actually in his possession. Someone else has seen it. Mm-hmm. So, very interesting. And we also ask him about the Jolly Roger crew, the secret society that we happen to know that he is a member of. Which is the skeleton man on that photo we found in the attic. It's, right. It says on there, Jolly Rogers. But he's like, 
you know, I can't confirm or deny that I'm a member of any secret organization, but I do, I will tell you about crews in general. And so he tells us that crews are organizations whose primary purpose is to put on, or is like to create and put on Mardi Gras parades. And that most of the crews are secret throughout New Orleans. And I just that's thought that this true, was... That's not true, by the way. Fascinating. Oh, it's not true? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's sad. But... Wait, so like crews aren't a real thing or most of them oh, are secret? No, they're very much a real thing. They okay. are like official organizations that are registered yeah, yeah, yeah. with the city. They're not like banned, but they were like back in the 1800s because of religious reasons. But is, mm. I mean, yeah, if, if you're not familiar, Mardi Gras is this pre-Lenten festival and these crews get together. And it, it's usually like some are very, very large. Some are like it's just like your immediate family and some of your friends and you just all get together and work on a, a float together for the parade. Right. Um, you usually will throw like a after parade kind of party just for your crew. But there, I mean, there, I mean, there might be some secret ones that are all cloak and dagger like that, but it's not secret generally from, from my understanding. Yeah. He, so he tells us that what happened was, is that the city stopped giving the Jolly Rogers crew parade permits in the nineties. So like they weren't able to participate in Mardi Gras parades anymore. Um, so like a Actually, they don't exist anymore, but he says they continue to exist as a secret organization, basically. Or Which, he, he, like, he alludes to that. What did they do to get kicked out of the parade? <laughs> well, this is this is my question, right? And also, like, what are they doing today? Like, what are their continued activities today? Like, what's the purpose if they can no longer put on parade floats, right? We'll have to talk. We'll have to talk about this later. We'll I think it's more cloak later. and dagger than anything. Like they just want to have secret meetings and secret handshakes because it feels cool, <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Freaking dorks, man! I don't think anybody puts on these skeleton man costumes when they go to build their parade floats. <laughs> anyway, oh, we got to talk about Iggy and the vent system. Yeah. When you go into the <laughs> attic room, there is this like little mini wardrobe thing and inside of it has a bunch of I think it's four different options for outfits that you can dress up again like four different hats four different little things to put around his neck four little accessories and you can dress him up as a mailman an eye doctor a clown or what is the last one a pirate Pirate. Um, so if you give Iggy a loquat which there is a loquat tree in the backyard and we have to go (laughs) fight some wasps and it's a horrible little mini game puzzle whatever it is it's awful you have to go collect these loquats give iggy one and then he will allow you to dress him up and whatever you dress him up as he will bring you a corresponding item so you dress him up as the mailman he will bring you a letter what letter does he happen to bring us when we dress him up of course we he brings the letter that made bruno collapse in a heart attack i do have to just say it is like now my dream to own an iguana that will let me dress him up oh. as different little in different little costumes. It's the cutest thing. <laughs> but anyway, side note, total side note. No, I'm in favor of it. Um, also, if you if you dress him up as the eye doctor, he'll bring you another glass eye. If you dress him up as the pirate, he will bring you a little locked pirate treasure chest thing that you, there's like a letter keypad on it so you have to put in a word um and then if you dress him up as the clown he clowns you and then runs off with the low quad and doesn't give you anything <laughs> so yes but uh we do get this letter and we read it and it is a letter from a lab that was doing tests on the crystal skull to kind of 
not carbon date it, but whatever Hotchkiss tells us about how they determine the age of the skull has something to do with the age of the tools that were used to make it. So if there's a bunch of tool markings on it, we can assume that maybe it wasn't an older skull because modern technology somehow can't make a crystal skull. I don't know. It no, no, really no. She was just saying that like that the tools used to make it, you can tell the tools used to make it. And depending on what those tools were, we can know when those tools were in use and like around what time the skull was actually made. So just like a dating. Yeah. A way to date the, the making of the skull. Gotcha. So yes, this lab dated this skull and this letter says, uh, actually your crystal skull is a fake. We can determine that it was not created using 19th, 18th, 17th century technology. It is newer than that. We know. So yeah, enough to give a person a heart attack, I guess. If you think you have this like multi-million dollar piece of crystal and then all of a sudden you learn that it's a forgery. Well, Corey, I think what we're supposed to understand from this is that so throughout Throughout the game, we're kind of led to believe that, like, the owner of the skull is, you know, blessed with a long life, is not able to die from common ailments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bruno, having the skull, believes he is safe from all common ailments, but the moment he realizes the skull is a fake, he has a heart attack. Mm-hmm. That placebo effect goes away instantly, doesn't it? <laughs> We have to talk about that later too. But anyway, yes. So we can call the authenticator and we're like, hey, let me ask you more questions about this letter that you sent Dr. Ballet saying that his thing was a fake. And the guy's like, I never said that. And it's like, what? He's like, no, I sent Dr. Ballet a letter saying that it was 100% authentic. Like it was definitely something that was centuries old, you know? So Nancy's like, oh, that's really interesting. Thank you. Need to go look into this more. Bye, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it seems as though someone has sent a forged letter to Bruno to make him think that the skull was a fake when actually the skull is real. Someone is very clever. Spooky. Spooky. But yes, so also, yeah, so if you dress Iggy up as a pirate, he brings you a locked treasure treasure chest um, that has a little lock on it. And the lock says that it we need to enter the word that they begin every Jolly Rogers crew meeting with. So somehow we have to infiltrate the next Jolly Rogers meeting, which, oh, by the way, happens to be tonight, mm. if we look at the calendar, and happens to be where, Corey? Rampart and Dumain. <laughs> On the corner of Rampart and Dumain, where everything else has been in this game. So what do we do? We what do we Bess. do? We call well, we Bess. We always have to do. <laughs> Plan A okay. is call Bess. We have got, this is another thing we have to talk about in This whole depth. scene. This, well, so much. Just so much. But anyway, yes. So um, we call Bess, who reluctantly there's a couple you can as best you can say no absolutely no I'm not doing that I won't Mm -hmm. do that I refuse to do that but then eventually obviously to move the game forward you have to do that so best says but of course I'm you know going to because otherwise we're just gonna be stuck in New Orleans until we solve this mystery so as best you break into Zeke's to get the skeleton costume from the box um, to be able to get into this Jolly Rogers meeting. 
And so Bess dresses up as a pirate. She gives, if you have to give the correct password, which I almost, this time I almost gave the wrong one. Oh, really? <laughs> I, cause I know it, the password is scuttled bones, mm-hmm. but like, I didn't realize that you could scroll down to see, there's like a lot oh, of different yeah, options yeah. to give them. And so I just saw scuttle butt or something. Oh. I was like, oh, click on that one. <laughs> But really quick, I had to click on the right one when I oh, realized good. what I had done, okay. which worked. So she's able to get in, and they start talking about some kind of New Orleans policy or something. It's not really clear what they're talking about. But as they're talking, Bess's cell phone goes off. Uh, and she's like, oh, shoot. And she tries to go and turn it off. But every single head in the meeting, every skeleton man head turns and looks directly at Bess. And then the leader, whoever is up on the stage, whose voice sounds familiar to Bess, says, well, 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 looks like we have an intruder. Get him. So they capture Bess, tie her up. Um, Mm. The leader of this group, he says, well, looks like our intruder is of the female variety. Let's take a look at her. Oh, my God. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about it. Don't worry. We're going to talk about it. (laughs) Um, They take off Bess's mask, and Bess basically calls out Dr. Buford. She's like, I recognize your voice. I know who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't let me go right now, I'm going to tell everyone how you murdered this guy. (laughs) And and, uh, Gilbert Buford is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll tell you everything, Miss Marvin. Let's let's go outside and we'll talk about this. So, we're not privy to that exact conversation, but we kind of flash forward and Bess is on the phone to Nancy explaining everything that she and Dr. Buford talked about us. Uh, talked about. She tells Nancy that apparently with his dying breath, Bruno told Gilbert to steal the painting of Henry's parents and lock it in the crypt so that way Henry would end up winding up with the crystal skull so he stole that painting right after bruno died and put it in the crypt as he asked but he regretted it um, because he realized that he didn't want henry to have the crystal skull he wanted the crystal skull so what he told us earlier about not being interested in the skull was absolutely untrue he's actually very interested in it so that's what he was doing the afternoon that nancy walked in on him is he was trying to get the key out of the cemetery model to get into the crypt to get the painting so that he could get the crystal skull for himself. But Nancy walked in on him, and so he panicked, threw the powder into her (laughs) face, and she passes out. So, but he says, now, you know, now that you know this, I'm just so embarrassed that, like, I was tempted by this thing that's probably not even real. I'm so sorry about that. I'm not going to be going after it anymore. But then Bess realizes, she's like, well, you know, uh, he just said that. Like, we don't know that he was telling the truth and that he's not really interested in the skull anymore. And in fact... You know, I did accidentally tell him that you, Nancy, were, like, on the verge of just finding the Mm -hmm. skull. And right after we spoke, he left and didn't go back to the meeting. So he could be on his way to you right now. (laughs) And then at that exact moment, thunder claps, lightning flashes, and the phone line goes dead. 
Oh my goodness. The the way the scene gets your blood rushing, even if you know it's what's going to happen next, it still feels like, oh my gosh, at any second, somebody's going to come out and grab me, like jump scare. It's really good. It's quality. Quality. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, but now that we are back in Nancy's point of view, we now know the passcode that we need to open this locked box. The code that they use to open the beating is Jean Lafitte, the, the famous pirate, of course. So we enter that into the treasure chest that Iggy brought us um, and we get the last eyeball that we need. On the wall in the attic, there's this grid where you have to place all the eyeballs. And I don't really even understand how you decide which direction each of the eyeballs needs to be looking but I had to look it up because I couldn't figure it out and I read your you know the very handy guide that you gave me but I wanted to know like why what is it (laughs) why and I and I figured it out it's that like um well I didn't figure it out game boomers told me that because some of them are obvious like sometimes it says down and you know that that means down obviously Mm -hmm. you need to put the eyeball facing down but some of them are not obvious and it's that basically directional words are hidden throughout it so like east can be hidden in there south you know based on that you turn them yeah anyway i figured it was something like that but (laughs) but Anyway, eventually, once we get all the eyeballs where they're supposed to be and looking in the correct direction, the thing like opens up. And what do we find inside? But a giant eyeball. Giant eyeball! (laughs) We also, there's also like this diagram in there that essentially like a lightning rod plus the handle of a shovel that we have to use earlier in the game for another puzzle that ends up resulting in an eyeball as well. That shovel is like a skeleton arm that has a scoop like a shovel scooper on the end of it. And we just break that off. And then we put the skeleton arm onto the lightning rod. And then the giant eyeball sits in the hand of the skeleton arm. Why not? Right. (laughs) Obviously that like locks into place on Bruno's crypt. How do we know that that goes there? Because I could never figure, I mean, like, I knew that it went there because Mm -hmm. I had done it before, obviously, but I could not remember for the life of me what it was that told us where to put this thing. I don't think it tells you. I think you just have to know that there is something clickable in that spot and we never get to it. So maybe it's just process of elimination almost. Got it. But that somehow, like, catches the light and then laser beams and I don't, whatever. It, the crypt opens, basically. Yeah, well, this is, well, we have to talk about this too later, because it's that lightning strikes the top of the crypt, which directs itself to the eyeball, which shoots, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a laser or if it's like, just like electricity from the lightning. (laughs) Both? Why not? (laughs) To open up a chamber beneath the crypt. How did a dentist make this? First of all, why does the dentist have an obsession with eyes? Second of all, <laughs> shouldn't well, he's it be not teeth? An optometrist. He does also yeah. have an obsession with teeth because there's lots of teeth-themed structures in his home. <laughs> I mean, I know he's missing an eye, but like, wait, why is he missing an eye? Why? We never learn how he lost his eye. So bizarre. <laughs> questions, questions. Anyway, but yeah. Do you want to take us to the big reveal? Sure, I can, yes. <laughs> so, yes, so this chamber opens up beneath Bruno's crypt. 
And of course, we step down the steps. And what do we see, Corey? We see the beautiful crystal skull. Which looks yellower than I remembered it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's not bright and shiny like it is on the cover. It's the yellowed crystal, which yeah. is fine, probably normal. But, like, I just thought that was interesting. I was like, yeah. oh, it's a weird color. <laughs> but anyway... We go to take the skull, and as soon as we grab it and turn around, and who appears above us but Renee. We turn around, the top of the chamber starts to close in on us, and so we're like, hey, Renee, you know, help us get out or whatever. And she says, yeah, 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 toss up the skull, and I'll help pull you out. So, of course, Nancy tosses up the skull, Mm -hmm. and Renee smiles sinisterly and walks away as the top of the grip closes above us. Will Nancy never learn no. to not hand some random person the treasure before <laughs> being able to escape? How many to this is like the tropiest of tropes. This happens all the freaking time. <laughs> And Nancy is always so shocked and surprised when it happens. You think that after a certain amount of time she would be like, no, I'm not going to hand you the freaking thing. Just take my hand and we can talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, you think by now she would have clued in to the fact like, oh, this is probably the bad guy. Right, right. (laughs) I was going to say at least she doesn't sustain a head injury, but she does at the very beginning. Oh, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I mean, she's knocked out. It's not like the, he hits her over the head or anything, but that's mm. still really bad for your brain to be unconscious. Like hit that, the ground. I'd consider well, that an injury. You'd, yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd hit your head on the she floor when hit you the landed. Ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But yeah, so I, at least there's not that in the culprit reveal. We've already got that out of the way. <laughs> Medical emergency right at the start rather than the end. <laughs> it's true. Um, although this is over the all the course of the same day. True, Which is one true. very impressive on Nancy's part yes. to find a lost historical object in less than twenty four hours. With best but help. Two, also, she could have had a concussion this entire time. <laughs> the eyeballs were all a product of the concussion. <laughs> the puzzles, none of it was real. Henry was like, "Why do you need this benign keychain I have?" And Nancy's <laughs> just like, "I need it! I need it! Give it to me, Henry!" <laughs> I'll tell everyone right. about your little girlfriend. Otherwise. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Crazy lady. Get out of um, my house, Nancy. <laughs> anyway, so we're trapped under this this crypt. I guess it's a crypt. It's not really a crypt. There's nobody in there. This memorial. And we're like looking for a way out. There is a puzzle on the back wall that is a memory puzzle that you have to solve um, and click matching icons to reopen it. This is so stupid. I find this one so stupid as well. Because like why would this be what gets you out? Shouldn't there just be like a lever or something? Why are you putting a puzzle down here that literally a toddler could solve? Yeah. And it slows down the progression of the end of the game. Like It should be something like real quick. You can just get yourself out and then go chase the culprit for the big exciting or, reveal. It should either be that or it should be something that like you have to have specific information to solve. Mm-hmm. But it's neither of those things. <laughs> you know? And we're trapped in this, like, concrete room. Obviously, if there was a way out, we would have gotten through there. But the way that we can solve this puzzle is because lightning is flashing. 
and that's how it like lights up the wall and we can see it. So how do we see the how lightning flashing if we're trapped in a crypt underground? That is such a great point. I hadn't even thought about that. It's an I amazing don't get point. it. <laughs> like, we shouldn't be able to see this puzzle, let alone solve it. There has to be like a window or maybe there's like a glass thing above it or something somewhere. But great, like maybe, but we don't see one yeah. from outside yeah. when we're looking at it in the rest of the game. Such a great point. Oh. Anyway, so once you're able to escape, um, we crawl out. We see muddy footprints left by Renee, and so we follow those into the cemetery, and we hear a boat engine rev. So at this, we understand that we're supposed to go to the cemetery, the spot in the cemetery that has Renee's boat in it. And so you have to remember really quickly how the quickest way to get there. Mm-hmm. I think if you don't do it quick enough, you have to second chance. Is that right? Oh, do you hear yeah, a drive away? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once we get to there, we see that she is standing in her boat. She's in the process of escaping, and we confront her, right? We're like, Renee, don't go anywhere with that skull. But she tells us that everybody else, all the other people who have owned this skull have been unworthy, and I (laughs) am the only rightful owner of this skull because I want to reunite all the skulls, and I will, and hear what they're going to say about the universe. So she tells us that she's the one who swapped the authentication letter to make Bruno think that it was a fake, Um, and I guess she inadvertently caused his death in this regard. Yeah, I think you could argue that she didn't intend for him to die just to scare him into maybe giving it up or saying, I don't want this anymore because it's fake. You can have it. But he did die. So, yeah. Um, But at this moment, Bernie the alligator, who we do meet previously, um, he's another pet of Bruno's who he used to feed marshmallows to. How sweet is that? So freaking cute. Um, every time you go to the swamp and bump the log, Bruno growls and opens, or it's not Bruno, sorry, Bernie, very similar <laughs> names, Bernie growls and opens his mouth, waiting for you to throw marshmallows in. Treats, please. So precious. So anyway, he swims up, and we bump the log. If we bump the log, he'll growl and open his mouth and bump into the boat, scaring Renee and causing her to drop the crystal skull directly into Bernie's mouth. We promptly chomps down and swims away. Yay, Bernie. (laughs) Taking it off everyone's hands. Oh, man. So at this point, we get a little, like, cutscene, I guess, at the very end of the game. We do learn that Renee is arrested pretty much immediately after this. Um, Dr. Buford does come over to offer his apologies for knocking Nancy unconscious earlier in the game, and he says to make up for his bad behavior, he wants to take her and Bess on a sightseeing tour of New Orleans. Um, So we get a nice little slideshow of them doing that. We do also see Henry kind of just sitting overlooking, like on a hill overlooking the cemetery, just kind of still processing the fact that Bruno really did care about him and wanted him to have the skull. He thought because Bruno shipped him off so many times when he was younger that he didn't really care, but it turns out he really did. He just didn't know how to express it. And his way of making sure that he was cared for was always making sure he was in some school or something where other people were able to look after him. So kind of a bittersweet ending there for, for Henry. Yeah. 
Um, and then we also learn that Lamont has to he's heard about the crystal skull thing. So he has a bag of marshmallows and his little swamp boat. And he is going up and down New Orleans looking for Bernie, calling out for him um, because he is going to try to get that crystal skull back so that he can sell it in his curio shop. But we learn that he as of yet, he's unsuccessful. Bernie and the crystal skull are lost to the world once again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, Ugh. Uh, okay, so first of all, <laughs> just to jump right in, we're supposed to believe now that there was just an immortal alligator swimming <laughs> out in the bayou, which is crazy to me, because I think, don't alligators already live, like, a really long time? Okay, mm-hmm. hold on, I gotta look this up. How they do indeed. do alligators live? They're dinosaurs. Um, oh, no. Alligators can live as long as humans and average 70 years, but can be 100 years. That's a good lifespan. This alligator is basically going to be ancient. Um, if, you know, if you believe that the crystal skull is what it says it is or what we're supposed to believe it is, you know? I like that they left it kind of open like that. That is, okay. This is exactly why I like this game. Yeah. This is the reason why I like this game so much, is that it allows you to view it however you want to view it. Mm-hmm. It just, it presents all of these things, and then it leaves it wide open, right? Like, all of these things fit conveniently enough. Like, yeah, you could believe that it's just that Bruno died because he no longer believed that the skull worked. But you can also think... Well, maybe it's because, you know, no, 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 like someone had designs out to kill him and maybe Renee did do some hoodoo or something to kill Mm -hmm. him. Like, we don't know that that didn't happen. Uh, Maybe, 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 right? And, Mm -hmm. And I just... And even like with the like the hoodoo stuff, like with Renee um, writing like the hoodoo word on the wall, and that stopped the thing from speaking. I mean, it did, right? Yeah. Like, it stopped. I mean, it stopped it from speaking because Bruno died, and he wasn't up there pressing the buttons anymore. Mm-hmm. But it worked. So you could believe yeah. well, it's just a coincidence, but you could also believe that like, no, it did exactly what it was trying to do. Also, (laughs) all of the, um, like, powders in, you know, Lamont's shop or whatever, when Bess opens them, they work. And you can just think, okay, well, there's just some kind of chemical in there that's causing, you know, Bess to sneeze or giggle or whatever. But also you could believe, like, well, no, maybe it's hoodoo and hoodoo works. Yeah. I really appreciate that about this game is that, they leave it open. I think that's mm-hmm. the best possible way to deal with like the supernatural and other <laughs> supernatural at all um, yeah. in in these kinds of games. And even if it were a TV show or movie or whatever medium you're viewing Nancy Drew from, you can explore those topics without landing on a definitive yes or no either mm-hmm. way. And I think that's so, it's just so appropriate and just so compelling. And it, you know, lets your audience fully appreciate all the different aspects and take whatever they want out of it. Mm-hmm. And you can land wherever you want about it. I just, ah, chef's kiss. Yeah. Love it. It is done very well. 
I think that's another great thing about the replay value because each time you can kind of go in from a different mindset, like, okay, I'm going to look into all the hoodoo parts of it this time. Okay, well, what are the more practical things that this could be, you know, and try to dig into it a little bit that way. Yes, so good. It's nice. It's so nice. good. Okay, do we want to talk about Gilbert Buford? <laughs> oh, let's get it over with. Yes, this man. <laughs> So we already talked about the fact that it's like a 60-something-year-old man or potentially older hitting on an 18-year-old girl. And the ick factor with that is certainly gross and gross enough. But, you know, at the end of the day, old men are always going to hit on young women. Mm. I mean, hopefully not, you know, maybe one day we'll reach a point where that doesn't happen. But but that's probably going to happen until the end of time. But the grossest and the worst part is when Bess is at the Jolly Roger meeting, they tie her up, they Mm -hmm. say, looks like our intruder is of the female variety. Let's take a look at her. Excuse me? What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Excuse my language, but that is disgusting. I think it implies a lot, doesn't it? It sure does. This is the rapiest... Words I think I've ever heard in a Nancy Drew game. They're threatening as well. Very threatening. There are plenty of crews that are male only, female only. There are also many, 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 plenty of crews that are male and female. I'm going to assume, because we mostly saw like male characters in this, that this is an all male group but not necessarily he's not saying like oh we know that this is an intruder automatically because we can see that it's a woman we're pointing out her vulnerabilities that you're in a room with a bunch of older men all with their identities concealed um and you're tied up here and we're sitting here pointing out like oh you know what you are a woman what does that mean what are we Mm -hmm. implying here Mm -hmm. well also and i mean it's Honestly, like, the very, like, and this is kind of graphic, and so I'll just give a little warning before I say it. Maybe skip if you don't want to get too in-depth about this. But, like, he's Mm -hmm. actually saying, oh, looks like you're a woman. Let's take a look. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Does that mean we're going to take off your clothes and look at your naked body? Sounds like show To see that you're a woman? Mm -hmm. Disgusting. Disgusting. The way he phrased that, he already knows. He's not trying to uncover whether or not she's actually a woman. He's trying to scare her. He's trying to make her think that. Yeah. This is an intimidation thing, 1,000%. She's already in a compromised position. She's been caught. She Mm -hmm. knows that she's, you know, like she knows that they're after her now. Obviously, she's going to be scared. He's upping it so that he's in a position of power in this situation. Sick. But also I want to talk about what you said before about how, you know, some crews are male only, some crews are female only, some crews, all genders, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you said, or I, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but earlier I think the reason why he said that the city stopped issuing them permits was because they didn't want to let certain people into their crew, right? Oh, I didn't catch they that. Didn't, okay, that sounds familiar He though. doesn't specify what the like characteristics of people were that they didn't want in their crew. But I feel like this implies women. Yeah. Is this because they hate women? They don't want them implies that they didn't want to let women into their all-male crew. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, if this is any indication, like, I can see why, because they're all disgusting, creepy men. I want to, okay, when we first meet Dr. Buford, he said, I wrote this down because it was so gross. He, she was Basically, Bess is just, like, introducing herself, and he's like, oh, yeah, I love to come down here uh, because there's such a pleasing view, particularly now, I might add. It starts leering at mm-hmm. her. And then later we can see in Bess's task list, because we get a task list in this game and you can check off what you need to do. One of Bess's list items is talk to Dr. Buford more. I think he's lonely. Oh, we're taking pity on this man. This game is teaching the players who's, you know, 10 years old and up is the target audience to go talk to this creepy man because he needs comfort, even though he was harassing us. Well, and also... Like, at the end of the game, we don't get an apology for his creepy behavior. We get an apology that he is after the skull, which we, why do we care about that? Right. And then he takes them on a tour of New Orleans and we're just supposed to believe, all better. Like, everything's fine. He wasn't threatening to Bess. Yeah. No, he was very threatening. Uh, Yeah. Why would you ever willfully be around this man again? I wouldn't go on this freaking trip. Yeah. I'm not going on any boat with you. No, thank you. Well, and this kind of brings about another point that I had, too, which is that Nancy putting Bess into this situation. Bess does not want to do a lot of this. I cannot. Okay. We've talked before about how Nancy is a bad friend, about how she's Mm -hmm. single-minded and she puts people into dangerous situations or whatever. I just cannot excuse this kind of behavior because what she knows at the point when she asks Bess to go infiltrate this meeting is she knows or suspects that Gilbert Buford was somehow involved in Bruno Bole's death. Mm-hmm. Why would she send a friend into that situation? That this secret society is meeting secretly. <laughs> That's kind of redundant. but oh, yeah. And so... I'm going to send you into this potentially extremely dangerous situation with a potential murderer. Mm -hmm. Because why? Because why? She's not, it's, let's be clear. I don't think it's that she's trying to solve Bruno's murder. Right. Because at this point, there's not a whole lot we can do in that regard. We've talked to the people who were around. He's been cremated. You know, there wasn't an autopsy, whatever. What she's trying to do at this point is she's trying to find the crystal skull. Right. Why, I don't know, but it's maybe just important. because it's really not. It's really not. I could understand so a murder case, but it, right. it's just something valuable. You don't need to risk someone's life over just a She's telling rock. Bess to go into this situation so that she can find treasure. Are you kidding me? Bess, is also, Bess also states she doesn't want to do this. She yeah, doesn't want to really go. She doesn't like doing this kind of stuff anyway. She goes and agrees to talk to Lamont and Dr. Buford just because Nancy, like, basically forces her to. But she, the whole time, she's like, I'm ready to go shopping when you are, Nancy. Oh, I just took a bubble bath. She's on vacation. She didn't come here for a mystery. Nancy just happened to find this while Bess was sitting at the hotel waiting on her. And now she's roped into not only breaking and entering and stealing from this shop, which is nerve-wracking enough, but also, like you said, go into this meeting that's horrifyingly scary and dangerous. Mm-hmm. I just cannot, I cannot excuse putting your friend in this kind of situation, like willfully putting your friend in this kind of situation. I'm like, what the hell? 
why is anybody friends with Nancy? Why, <laughs> why does anybody go on any of these trips with her if they know, they joke all the time about, oh, you know, Nancy's going to find a mystery wherever she goes. Why do you go? Why would you go with Nancy? Right? Let her go on her own. We're like, yeah, Nancy, I'll help you from the comfort of my couch. You can call me and I'll help. <laughs> Jeez Louise. How would Nancy ever forgive herself if something had happened to Bess in that meeting? Unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. Anyway, yeah, so there's that. <laughs> More about what we were saying earlier, too. I, I think that the younger... Well, obviously, I played this, what was it, 2007 when it first came out. It was the first time that I played it. And we were 14 old were we old. then? Yeah, 14. 13, 14. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really pick up on a lot of the creepy nope. Dr. Buford stuff. But the older I get, the more times I play it, the less interested I am in that entire portion of the mystery. Because it is a good chunk of the storyline. Yeah. Okay, that Speaking was a of really problematic dark stuff, <laughs> It was. This is also kind of a problematic topic. I just didn't get it out of the way. Yes. Summer and Henry. Oh. (laughs) This is very clearly a poor relationship. And I think Nancy Mm -hmm. calls it out as being such. But I find it so, such a strange. I think what it illustrates to me is that Henry is such a strange person. Mm. I, I do not understand. He says like. He doesn't think he could get another girlfriend if Summer was going to dump him. Which, first of all, I think shows his his view of women to be very limited and one-dimensional and just honestly just poor because he views them at things he can get and have, right? Right. Um, but but also like, like a weird self-image problem. Definitely self-esteem is an issue yeah. there. Like, he thinks that, you know, he's not worthy of love, which just doesn't, I feel like, just doesn't vibe with the rest of the portrayal that we get of him. Because I feel like in all respects, he seems like a very independent, kind of self-sufficient, someone who, like, has a way of, like, achieving the things that he wants to do, even if it's not, like, above board, i.e., like, selling Bruno's stuff. He... He does everything he needs to and wants to do. So, like, he's a capable person. He uh, has been named the executor of Bruno's will. He's dealing with all of, like, the, you know, administrative stuff surrounding that, probably paying off Bruno's debts and stuff. I just don't understand how, like, we're supposed to see him as, like, this undesirable person because he just doesn't seem like that to me. But I don't. I I think it kind of all fits together. I mean, he lost his parents very young, so obviously there's a big attachment there Mm. that's just broken and gone, which is a lot to go through at eight years old. A lot, a lot. And then your only other living relative, from Henry's perspective at the time, it seems like he's not wanted. So he is self-sufficient only as like a survival method. Not by choice. It's because he doesn't really feel like he has anyone. So maybe that's where the self-image issues come from that maybe maybe it's something wrong with him that Bruno didn't want him didn't want to keep him in the house or anything like that and then that translates into other relationship problems down the road of course so I I can kind of see it definitely but well and Ned and Ned also calls him out as being like a loner basically like he doesn't Mm -hmm. have a lot of friends I just find that interesting I feel like what I would assume 
is if you don't have like family support or if you don't have close family relationships, you would seek out those relationships in a lot of different places. But it makes it makes him seem like he's somewhat inexperienced in other kinds of relationships. Like he doesn't have a lot of friends. This Mm -hmm. is his first and only girlfriend and he's never going to get another one. Which I guess is possible. It just feels like he doesn't seem like a fully... I guess what I'm trying to say is he doesn't seem like a fully fleshed out character to me. Like we just don't understand a lot of his... Like what his life is like, you know? Mm -hmm. And it seems kind of like a shallow skimming of the surface that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I definitely would have liked more information about him. Of course we get the Mm -hmm. summer plot line and then anything related to his uncle but still not henry himself right i would have liked like a little emerson like easter egg or something in there mm-hmm. that would have yeah. been fun and a little, some you know look at what his college life is like or something like that he's just he doesn't live in new orleans he's just in town to, to deal with all this right so it's right right kind of a missed opportunity maybe it was just a time and animation thing as well that didn't make yeah. it into the game because that happens a lot in the series but that's yeah, a great point great points yeah. Anyway. Oh, do we want to talk oh. about the layout of the house? Oh, sorry. You had something. Well, I mean, that's kind of in the same vein of what I was going to talk about. I was going to say oh, okay. that it seemed to me that, like, the house felt very familiar to me. And it, it, it just seemed like, it seemed a lot like the Ghost of Thornton Hall house. I think it's the same model. Like, I think they yeah. used the same and flipped it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was like, they have had, they had to have used some of the same like assets for this as they did in Thornton Hall because even mm-hmm. the way that they show the hallway, it's the hallway that gives it yeah. away for me. I think like when you walk in and the tilt of it, they mm-hmm. do the exact same thing in Ghost of Thornton Hall, which is very effective. I'm, you know, yeah. not discrediting that at all, but it's just too similar to me. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, both of them are supposed to be in like, you know, the southern southern part. This is set Very in New Orleans, the other one's set foggy in areas Savannah. Or marshy yeah. maybe. Yeah. Right. Where you'd expect settling houses and things to sink eventually over time, especially older buildings like that. But... Yeah. But I just wanted to call that out because that yes. was something I noticed this time around that I hadn't before. Yeah, I think it is something very similar to that. And they just flip-flopped which rooms you could go into. Sure. There are definitely some missing rooms in this house. There All that we see. So we walk into the front door. Okay, no. Back up. We start outside. We can see the front of the house. We can see that it's three stories. Or we can see three levels of windows, right? And the front door is on the left-hand side of the house. And then I think there's two like columns of windows to the right side of that. So we walk in the front door. We have our foyer. Our staircase is on the left side of the house. And then on the right side, we have our big entryway into like the living room area with the graveyard model. And then the next room after that, if you keep walking down the hall, is the library area. And then that's how you access the backyard. And then just in that hallway is like a clock and a table with some pictures on it. But then if you go upstairs, the upstairs is like almost like a grid shape. Like the bottom left quadrant is our landing area for our staircase. The next quadrant is Bruno's room and then uh, Renee's room. And then the like corner quadrant in the back is the spooky attic room. So we don't know how to get upstairs, like to the third level, if there is one, you know? Also, there is no kitchen. There's no no bathroom. bathroom. 
And there's not even any doors to any parts of the house that we can't go. Like, they could That's easily explain it away by just putting a door that we can't go into. Or a couple doors we can't go into. We can assume, okay, that's the way to the kitchen. That's the way to this person's room or whatever. But no. (laughs) There's no, like, empty space in this house where it's like, oh, there should be something behind this wall. Even if you put a door there, that would just be the outside wall. Like, that's the exterior wall. There's there's no place for the door to go even. Because they did that in quite a few other games where it's just you can't go in there, but you assume that it's the kitchen or whatever in that building. This house just doesn't have plumbing apparently at all um no kitchen no bathroom only two bedrooms i don't know i don't know a whole lot about new orleans architecture which is honestly a shame um because i wish i did but it doesn't seem to me like it would be possible for this to be a house where there could be like a kitchen underground you know, no. like, um, well, there's no yeah. basements in New Orleans. Are you kidding right. me? <laughs> they right. can't even bury so, people underground because I'm just trying level. to think of like any other plausible scenario, but there's really not one. <laughs> so these southern, like, I don't want to say beachy because it's not on a beach, but it is the coast. These style homes, I would almost expect it to almost be like almost a mirror image of itself because the front door would be like mm. in the center and then you'd go in and traditionally the um, like the man of the house's parlor cigar room is on the right the ladies salon is on the left so when there's entertaining men and women after dinner would go to their separate rooms and then beyond that would be like a dining room and the kitchen and then all the bedrooms upstairs so you'd expect there to be like almost twice as much house for the way that it's laid out if it's going to be kind of that that same style that is really popular for that time period for New Orleans or the coastal areas like Galveston or wherever. I'm maybe making this up, but was it common? And this is probably too much talk about architecture. I should That's probably okay. just shut up. But it was it was it common for kitchens to be separate from the house and connected by like a walkway? Am I thinking of that correctly as far as maybe. like possibly depending on when it was built that would have made sense for some places absolutely but yeah it also could have very easily just been in the house just a closed off room like it wouldn't be like open concept like we think of today where you have the dining room and the kitchen all in one or maybe the living room I also find it weird that like where is this house like like physically outside the French Quarter I don't okay. think it's in the French Quarter because, I mean, it's on so much land that I don't really see how yeah, it could that's be, what I'm you know? <laughs> is it like there is a massive cemetery? Is this not a small cemetery? Right. This is a massive cemetery. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you go to a certain part of the cemetery and you look out and you see hills and hills and hills mm-hmm. and hills of mausoleums. So where the, where the fuck? <laughs> Does I this, don't really think exist? we see any neighbors necessarily when we see no. the very first outside view. That's the weird part to me is I feel like New Orleans in general is like a crowded area. It you definitely know. can be, yeah. We might be on and, the outskirts, you know, and that's why we had to get the cab to call, come all the way out here. And that's why we can't get back to the French Quarter. I just feel like this can't be in New Orleans proper. But I, I, I don't really, I don't know enough about about the uh, geography of the area to be sure. But uh, I find that suspicious. 
I mean, if you go far enough out from New Orleans itself, I believe that you're going to just get a lot of, like, marshlands and yeah. not even suburb, but just, like, outskirts, outskirts, where there's former plantation land and mm. things like that. So there, there is big tracts of land out there. I just don't know but how close where... that is to New Orleans proper. But where would it be that they ha- would have such a massive cemetery? There's massive cemeteries all over New Orleans. But but in New Orleans though, you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm just. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. But also, is this a privately owned cemetery? Like, what's the situation with that? And why is yeah. it that the Bolays get to are always the ones who are like looking after this cemetery? Do they own the cemetery? How does that work? I don't. I don't get it. But. Yeah, I kind of just imagine in my mind that this is like a family business or something that mm-hmm. he got roped into, but also aspired to be a dentist, so did both. Who knows? <laughs> Doesn't it's seem a weird like... setup. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would be a pretty busy job, unless it's just like really old graves that he's just kind of cleaning up, and then they only really use it for new Bole family members that need to go in there. I don't know. Oh my gosh. I don't remember. Very interesting. I didn't pay close enough attention to any of the dates in the, the log book. Because there is a book. He keeps a log book the of log everyone who's buried there. goes up to the 70s, but no farther okay. than that. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it is quite a new. Because we know Henry's parents are buried there, and that would have been the 90s. That was but, the 90s, yeah. But that might be just an exception because they're family. They go in the mausoleum. Maybe they're yeah full, I guess, you know, and he's just mm-hmm. kind of taking care of it not that it's an active like they're having funerals there all the time or something like that who knows right they did do a good job designing that cemetery it looks just like the ones in new orleans so yeah yeah um we could also talk about um we could talk about some easter eggs if you want to talk about some easter eggs (gasps) yes there are three easter eggs that you can get in this game and if you get all three you get a special award at the end so I forgot. So I wasn't talking about the literal Easter eggs. Although oh, I'm oh, sorry. Too. No, no, no. I mean, true to form. True. Yes, those also exist. But I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about like um, oh references gumbo. to past games. Yeah. So the gumbo truck operator is very <gasps> clearly like the midsection of a Shorty, Shorty Thurmond from Shadow, Shadow Ranch. Ranch. Yes. I love that. Um, which I think is interesting as far as like continuity for yeah because at this point he's supposed to be arrested mm-hmm. unless Maybe he escaped or unless he's mm-hmm. out on bail and now he's operating a gumbo truck in New Orleans and doesn't recognize Bess because Bess is the only one who ever goes there and he never met Bess in right. uh, Shadow Ranch. Oh my goodness, okay, this is going to be a huge spoiler for a later game, but not too many games from now, three games later, we're going to have a plot point where some older culprits might be some suspects in a game. I wonder if that was planted there as kind of a a call forward to that, like hinting that, oh, maybe you need to be worried about someone, we won't say who, coming back. It's not Shorty, spoiler alert, but I wonder if I could totally see it. Intentional. Or I could totally see a scenario in which, in the future, they bring back Shorty Thurmond as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, because, spoiler alert, he's a great villain. Like, just top-notch. I love Shorty. Yes. So, 
that I feel like would be really would be good. I'm yes. I'm here for bringing back old villains. I'm here for it. As long as it's not done as poorly as the other game. Right, right. Um, so there's also in the library, there's a couple books that give us some callbacks as well. So there is yes. a um, library catalog card for a book who's, which is written by Bill Kessler, um, which is the haunted carousel, um, the guy who made the carousel. In No, that is um, White carousel. Wolf. Bill Kessler's from White Wolf Bicycle Creek. Oh, I'm thinking about... Rolf Kessler. Um, Rolf is the Kessler. Carousel guy. The Kessler name, though, again. So... Yes. We can ask him if he's related in White Wolf, and he's like, mm, I don't know. Never heard of him. <laughs> so there's that, that one. And then there's also a book written by Prudence Rutherford. Yes. Which I love, and she's a recurring character. She starts off in Scarlet Hand, but uh, comes back yes. in a few, or just one, one or two. Danger by Design, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Phantom of Venice, so she'll be back in the next We call one her, as well. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah she, we never see her, but we get her as a phone contact in a few games, which is mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. And I and I think that's hilarious, because I'm pretty sure the book is like an autobiography that she's written about her Oh, life. yeah. <laughs> it's like a prudent, I Sorry. forget the title of it, but it's a clever title. And yeah. It's always <laughs> puns crudely. off her name, something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So principles of prudence or something mm-hmm, like that or mm-hmm. prudent principles or I don't know something like yeah. that. But. Yeah. Oh, I did want to talk about so <laughs> Bess throughout the course of this game technically poisons Lamont two times. So she poisons him with the sneezing powder causing him to have like this incredible sneezing fit and he tells us you know, he's actually quite susceptible to allergies and he has like a one of those nose sprayers or whatever in the back because he gets like these allergy attacks. So we purposefully give him the sneezing powder to cause this. Mm-hmm. Later, we have to get him away from the front desk again so that we can get back to check something in the box for Nancy. And he tells us that he can't have the hot sauce from the gumbo truck outside because it upsets his stomach. And so we have to purposefully give him gumbo from the truck with hot sauce on it that causes him to basically have to go shit. <laughs> I don't know a nicer way to say that. To He's ill. He to, doesn't feel well. To become ill. <laughs> he has to go stay in the bathroom while best snoops, basically. Right. So, Poor Lamont. like, ethically, how do we feel about that? Because Very poorly. I'm never comfortable with it. It seems really terrible for poor Lamont who is just trying he's just trying to do his job protect his business like not let uninsured employees into the back room you know like and we're just here causing the guy to have insane allergic reactions get violently ill immediately Mm -hmm. like twice we don't even find a better excuse than just like well I mean the the nose and then the hot sauce thing. That's two times. They could have just yeah. stuck with one and then found some other excuse, like prank call him to get him to come outside or something, you know, yeah. something else yeah. that's not harming him. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not like it at all. Again, but though, again, this is all Nancy's fault. If Nancy never asked Bess to do this, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't have been an issue. Yeah, so I'm not call- I just want to make it clear. I just yes. want to make it clear I'm not calling out Bess for these actions. Yeah. <laughs> But Lamont does deserve better. Yeah. Poor Lamont. 
I like him. He doesn't really, I mean, we don't really get a lot of suspicion thrown on him other than the no. box stuff, and that gets cleared up pretty quickly. So I, it's just there's nothing he does character. wrong. Yeah. Do we also, do we want to talk about my secret theories as to why? <gasps> yes, please. Zeke's yes, please. Is, yes, please. So there is kind of like a lot of mysterious stuff about Zeke's that we don't ever get an answer for. At one point, Nancy also asks Lamont how he knew Bruno because he tells Nancy, or sorry, Bess, tells Bess that he met Henry at Bruno's memorial service after he passed away. But why was Lamont at Bruno's memorial service is a question we never get answered. We never know how he and Bruno met, what relationship he had to Bruno. Now, maybe Lamont is just a savvy business owner and tries to get into wealthy people's houses who have recently passed through his curio shop. That's a potential explanation. Yeah, definitely. But he, I don't know, he makes it seem like he kind of, he has a reason to know him and is not super forthcoming Mm. on what that reason is. Yeah. Never thought about I find that fascinating. The other thing I find fascinating is that, yes, you know, there are all these weird things in his shop that are, like, weirder than you would normally find in a curio shop, I feel like. Like Shrunken heads, I can... Right. Shrunken heads, I can totally understand. A whole mummy Mm -hmm. in the corner? (laughs) With the sarcophagus and all. How does that, like, how does that, how does nobody come in and, like, call the government about that? Because clearly, like, this is, like, some archaeological, historical object that needs to be in a museum, not a curio shop on the corner of Rampart and Dumain. Like, so there's that. That thing... That needs to be in Area 51. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. But also, we get the... If you look through the calendar that Henry has on his desk, and you go through all the different, like, locations where the Jolly Rogers crew meets, they meet at this location on Rampart and Dumain quite often. Like, it's multiple times in the books that that... Or in the calendar that that's listed there. So they meet in that alleyway all the time pretty much pretty regularly they change their location but they meet there regularly do you think he's a jolly roger here's my thought (gasps) is that this location this curio shop has some kind of connection to the jolly rogers crew Hmm. what did what the significance of the name zeke's i do not know but it is very interesting that it basically is a requirement of passing on this store to continue the name as Zeke's, as if this name Zeke has some kind of significance that is required, you know, like that yeah. that has to stay that way. Hmm. So my thought is like some there's some kind of patronage situation here, or that this store somehow holds secrets for this secret society in some other way, shape, or form, right. um, because. There's no way that they, it would make so much sense to me that Bruno or whoever in the Jolly Rogers crew would regularly run up against the proprietors of this curio shop if they're going to be in that alleyway, you know, every other month for a meeting. That would explain how they knew each other, definitely. It would explain how they know each other. And, And it would also kind of explain as to why Zeke's is a curio shop that is, like, still in business. If this secret society is, you know, farming off 
curious objects to Zeke's to sell Mm-hmm. for you know cash to continue operations as a way to fence potentially stolen goods or objects of historical importance that they don't want going into someone else's hands mm-hmm. i'm just saying i'm just saying this is a really good theory there's just a lot of weird unanswered questions and a lot of weird coincidences when it comes to zeke's and lamont and the jolly rogers I need answers. <laughs> they could have used Lamont, I feel like, more in this story. And making him somehow involved with this would have been a really interesting plot point. Yeah. If we had something a little bit more direct confirmation. Even if it wasn't like, yeah, he's a member, but we'd maybe really see something in the shop or a note or something, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. An yeah. invoice from the Jolly Rogers for something. Ooh. Or, you know, the Jolly Rogers talking about some something about it in their meeting Mm, yes i really wish i could remember what they were talking about at the beginning of their meeting but i think it was just some new like ordinance city ordinance or something from about new orleans but i just that's what i just don't understand is if they're no longer putting on parade floats no longer organizing parade floats what are they doing They've, if they've existed for 17 years post that, or, you know, roughly however long it's been since they were shut down, at least 10 years, mm-hmm. what are they doing? Why are they meeting? And there's a lot of them at that them. meeting. Yeah. There's at least 40 people there. Easily. Easy. Yeah. But it could have, it was a big space and he was standing up on like this platform with like this spotlight. Mm-hmm. Could have easily been 200 people there. Seemed like a warehouse or something. Yeah. So... What are they doing? One, why don't they want women in their club? I mean, maybe just because they're sexist. But two, it just seems like there's got to be something else going on. Some kind of criminal activity or something that requires them to stay secret and somehow continue operation. Maybe they have the rest of the skulls or some of the rest of the skulls. And the mission of the group is to find all of them. And that's why Lamont is so interested in finding Bernie not because he necessarily thinks that he can sell this multi-million dollar crystal in his shop, but because he has another buyer already yeah. lined up this group. I know that that's that, kind of a stretch, but... <laughs> if that were the case, though, then I feel like that would give Gilbert Buford way more of incentive to continue trying to get the crystal skull, but he just kind of backs off. That's you know? true, true. Very good point. And also, then why wouldn't Bruno give it to the Jolly Rogers crew instead of hiding it for Henry to find. True. Yeah. No, okay, that's not a good theory, then. (laughs) But I I think in general, the thought of them, like, trafficking in, you know, artifacts or stolen artifacts or something is a a good (laughs) good theory. I just don't know that it's specifically Crystal Skulls. You know? I mean, we know that one of the members is a nearly retired doctor. Maybe this is just a group of powerful men that are meeting behind closed doors because they think that they're going to somehow influence the city or regain their crew status or something like that. Maybe that's part of what this is. Maybe it's a political thing rather than supernatural, mystical, whatever. But it's 10 years later. You would have think they would have given up by this point. Yeah. I mean, I'm regaining their crew status at least, doing whatever else does they do. Yeah, maybe, right, but... yeah. <laughs> Who knows what that could be. Anyway. Anything else we want to talk about? 
No, I'll note that the the game takes place on May 31st, so we are after Mardi Gras here. Would have been fun to have some Mardi Gras uh, traditions, like, thrown in, maybe as, like, an educational aspect. Um, It would have made the crew aspect of it a little bit more involved, I imagine. Mm. Yeah. Maybe Mardi Gras is a little bit too wild. But the very next game, we do Carnivale, which is the same thing, but Italian. (laughs) It's a really great point. I mean, we don't see the parties at all, but it would have been nice to have some history in there. Yeah. In addition to the Crystal Skull history. That's all I got. Otherwise, how about you? Yeah, I think that's it. Flashlight score? This is so hard. Like, I... I don't know. I... I want to give it a four out of five flashlights. Because I do enjoy the game, and I do think it's... It holds up. It's really good. The spooky is really good. The vibes are really good. Mm-hmm. But do I think that in the broader scope of Nancy Drew games, this is one of the best ones? No, I don't. No. At the same time, though, maybe that's not a fair way to score. Like, if all of them deserve five out of five flashlights, give all of them five out of five flashlights, you know? Of course, of course. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, three and a half. My heart goes uh, that's three what and a half. I was half say as flashlights. Well. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Exact same <laughs> rationale. It's like I can't give it three because it's better than that, but it's definitely not a four either. Three and a half yeah. is fine. Yeah. Three and a half. Great. Loses some <laughs> points because of Doctor Buford's existence, but yeah. other than that, yeah, solid game. Bit puzzle yeah. heavy. Wish there was a little bit more, as narrative to it, but that's okay. Hmm. Interesting. I. I feel like the puzzles were good, and and I do agree that there were a lot of them, but the way that they were clumped together, I think, is what detracts from it the most for me, for me is because, like, you have to do them all, and you, like, do them all at once, and you do them all in succession, and then it's like, as soon as the puzzles are done, the puzzles are done. Right. Like, instead of, like, spreading them out a little bit more, or at least the challenging yeah. ones, spreading the yeah. challenging ones out a little bit more, I feel like would have been better. It can be frustrating because sometimes when you're playing, you know, you just come across a puzzle every now and then, but you also have other things to be doing. This, it's like if you get stuck, the only other thing to do is just go solve puzzles for a couple hours. And mm-hmm. if you yeah. get stuck on those, it's not like you can go question suspects more or switch right. to best and work on something there. It's just, okay, another puzzle. Okay, another puzzle. Okay, more eyeballs, more eyeballs. And it's just eyeballs over and over again. And you're just doing these <laughs> things for eyeballs. And I get that it all yeah. like culminates in this one massive eyeball puzzle, which you need at the end, which I like that concept, the smaller puzzles leading to the bigger thing that you need later on in the game. But it's just too repetitive. It's too many eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of eyeballs. And why? Why eyeballs? Why eyeballs? Such a random just object. To be creepy. Yep. I guess. And they're all weird looking too. Like one of them has two pupils. One of them is like bright red. One of them has a sun instead of a pupil. Corey, um, something just occurred to me. Yeah. Do you think we're supposed to put the eyeballs in the crystal skull? Oh, I've never thought of that. Which ones will we choose though? Well, I think probably they all have some kind of purpose or magnification on the power of the skull. <gasps> oh, I like that. <laughs> Whatever glass eye you choose that day it depends on how the, the skull will behave. Or maybe he puts the the eyeballs in the crystal skull to charge them, and then he wears them as a and way of like powers. Yeah, 
Sorry. Maybe I'm it gives reaching. his other eye special Stretching. vision. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how, why possibly that could have even been the case. But right. Anyway. All right. Three and a half flashlights. I think that's a good, good rating to settle on there. Yes. Do we want to say our next one? So next time we are going to be covering Wardings at Waverly Academy. Yes, game number 21. So, so we'll excited. see you then, regular Drews. Yeah, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at RegularNancyDrew and Twitter at RegularND. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $3 level vote on upcoming episode topics and all patrons receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.